Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, ed tech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Educational Podcasting Today, the podcast for educational podcasters, teaching you all about how, why, what, and all everything surrounding educational podcasts. If you're looking for more information about this and all of our shows, you can head on over to educationalpodcasting.com where you can find lesson plans, gear reviews, and so much more about how to create a podcast for your home studio or head on over to educationalpodcasting.today to learn how you can bring podcasting into your classroom. I'm so excited that you guys are here today. I have a fantastic guest. He's from Thailand. And I'm excited to hear from him today about how he created a show and not only about his podcast, but we have an opportunity to sit down and take a sneak peek at something that he's going to be launching really soon and that you can be able to take advantage of, too, when it comes out. So don't forget to check that out at the end of the show. I'm looking forward to it. My guest today has been an educator for many years, but the last 10 years, he's actually been doing some amazing things in the country of Thailand. I want to bring on today Mr. Grant Wooten. Grant, how are you today? Welcome to Educational Podcasting today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, I'm doing, doing very well. I am so excited to have you all. We've been kind of going back and forth. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to Thailand. Yeah, so I, I've actually been in Thailand for, for my entire career. I came here when I was 20. I'm, I'm 30 now, so 10 years now. And um, I started out as an intern working with some nonprofits in nor the northern part of the of the country um, and actually trained to work with nonprofits around the world, not as a, not as a teacher. Uh, but when I was here, I, I really didn't want to come with my own ideas about the needs that existed in in the country. I wanted to come and, and see for myself, what is it that people were asking for help with? Um, and if anybody's been to Southeast Asia and they're from the West and, and look <laughs> like they're from the West, uh, stereotypically, they're going to get accosted very, very quickly um, by people that want to, to have someone teach them English because English has become the world language. It's the lingua franca, it's the trade language. Even if ASEAN, you know, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, despite the fact that English isn't a native to any of the countries in that region, they've made English their, you know, their official language for trade. So the demand is, is just off the charts. And they came to me uh, oftentimes asking me to, to tutor one-on-one -on -one or to tutor uh, university students. And so I ended up teaching in two different respects. Uh, I was teaching in a local construction community of refugees that were building, um, that were building, I think it was a condo at the time, uh, and volunteering to teach those kids who actually didn't have access to the public education system, even in Thailand. Um, and so that's the first community that I ended up teaching in. Uh, and then I was also tutoring some university students at the time, when I became aware of the fact that they really needed more teachers in the countryside of Thailand, because we were kind of in the northern city, and uh, and they were hiring backpackers off the street most of the time to teach English, and I thought, you know what, 
I think that's that's something that's a role that that I could take on. You know, it's a felt need. It's something that um, that people are asking for directly. It's something that makes sense for me to do. I'm enjoying it right now. And so then I went on to get teacher training and moved um, with my wife to Sukhothai, Thailand, which is a small rice farming community uh, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> in 2015, I believe it was, uh, was when we finally made that move. And I took a job as an elementary school teacher and haven't looked back since. Tell us a little bit about what the educational system is like in Thailand. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you've got different tiers, of course. Um, as you do most places. But when we're talking about the, the government, the the public school system, I would say, you know, I, I've read multiple places that Thailand has one of the highest education budgets in the world as far as percentage of the national budget. But by the time it gets down to the schools, there's almost nothing left. <laughs> it's what it feels like. There, I don't know where the money goes, but, but by the time it goes through many different levels of bureaucracy, um, it's gone. It disappears. And so I was working in a school of 2000 children initially, and I would often have, you know, this, these concrete classrooms, no air conditioning, up to 54 children in that room um, with a chalkboard and no resources. And I mean, it was pretty dismal. Um, but what's very interesting and sad at the same time is that oftentimes these schools, even in the countryside, are divided by social class. And so you'll have mid-tier rooms, and then you'll have upper-tier rooms. And really, it, it's just the parents that can afford to pay the school higher fees. Um, they'll end up with better teachers, higher-quality equipment, um, and fewer students per teacher. You had mentioned that there was 50 students per class. Did I, did I hear you say that right? Yeah. In, the, in what they call the regular rooms, it's not uncommon to have up to 50 students in a, in a classroom. I think it was anywhere between 35 and, and 55 is kind of the range. Yeah. How did you pick up the language or are you teaching in English? No, I, I'm, I was teaching English language. So English is a foreign language uh, in this context, but I did pick up the language uh, I don't know if pickup is the right word. Uh, my first year here, I, as I mentioned, I was an intern. I had a little bit more time than I do now. And I knew I was going to be here for the long haul. And language and culture are the most important thing uh, to dig into when you move into a foreign context. And I knew that as well. I'd received very good training. And so I, um, I dug in and I learned the language uh, to a, a level of fluency that is uncommon. I would say within my first year. Um, and since then, I've just been able to build on that solid foundation. I, I studied about probably between practice and study. It was six to seven hours a day for, for oh, a wow. year. Yeah. Have, have you crossed over to the world where you're having dreams in that? Is, is it Thai? I'm, I'm sorry Thai. for the ignorance here. Thai, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, long since passed. Yes. Um, in fact, I, I don't really usually know anymore which language I've dreaming I've dreamt in. If you ask me, I would be able to tell you. What, what, how would you, how would you describe typical Thai students similar to American, not like American? I, I'm assuming it's broken in. There's some form of first grade, second grade, third grade, or how, how does all oh, that work? Yeah. 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 I mean, they have the tw 12 grades. Um, okay. same they often start school much earlier, which is typical throughout Asia. Um, so two and a half, 
you know, you'll start school with like pre-kindergarten and then they have three levels of kindergarten and then finally first through 12th grade. Okay. They have uh, primary schools that are first through sixth grade and then secondary schools that are seventh through 12. Okay. Um, so they kind of divide it up that way. No middle school in there. And first um, grade is still roughly six, seven years old, five, somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so the ages kind of match up. Um, but culturally, you know, think things are, are pretty different. Um, the deference that a teacher is given in, uh, in Thailand, and I'd say, again, maybe throughout Asia is, is usually going to be a little bit higher than what you would typically find in the American uh, school system. But I have to admit my own ignorance. My only experience of teaching in the American system is, or not teaching, is not teaching, it's, um, it's being a student. You know, so I know things have, have maybe changed. I've heard um, that it also depends greatly upon region. You know, the U.S. is a really big place. But I'd say in general, you're going to find um, that students are more compliant in, um, in Southeast Asian classrooms. Uh, but that isn't always a good thing. You know, they're, they're also less likely to speak out or voice independent ideas even when uh, they have them. And of course, this is, a, this is an overgeneralization. So there are students that are exceptions to this, but I'd say that was a pretty big difference. I, I think I also picked up on the fact you said the word chalkboard. Is, is there a, a technology buzz? Is there, does ed tech exist out in Thailand? What, what, what does the technology uh, scene look like for students? Yeah, again, it really depends on the resources that are available to the school. Um, and that usually depends on the wealth of the families that um, that are supplying fees to the school, despite the fact that it's advertised as free public education. Um, if you really go for the free option, you're going to have chalkboards. And, um, and I don't even know if you'll have an adequate number of desks. So it really just, it, go, it goes the whole gamut. You'll find international schools in Thailand that cater to wealthy expat communities. And, you know, the best of the best, better than, than probably most Western schools. Um, and then you'll, you'll find the kind of um, bottom of the rung as far as funding is concerned, where, you know, good luck, right? And that's more what I've been used to until uh, about a year ago, I moved to um, something that's a little bit, different kind of animal. This is an international school that I work at now, but it caters to the local Thai population. Um, it wouldn't have been attractive to me if it, if it didn't. And uh, and so it's more, I'd say, mid-tier between those two points. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned international. One of the things that I'm excited to talk today about is your podcast, and mm -hmm. it is called The Best Teacher Podcast. Tell us a little bit about it and what made you be, uh, get started with it. Yeah, so so actually, I've been working on a, a project um, that we won't talk too much about today. But I worked on a project for four years uh, to develop a new kind of website to help teachers find great ideas, and then when they find them, adapt them very quickly. Because this is something that I've experienced a huge frustration with myself, um, especially working in under-resourced communities where you'd think the internet would be a huge help, and then you go to the internet and you waste hours and hours, you know, just sorting through the mountains of steaming piles of dung that you find on the internet, right? I mean, that's just every teacher I talk to has this experience. Um, and so in my research for, for building this website, uh, which, which is called EduSphere, mm -hmm. um, and it'll be, I think it'll be publicly available next year at some point, we're running pilots now. But um, 
throughout this process of researching it, I, I started talking to a lot of different teachers around the world to try to understand, are the frustrations that I'm experiencing the same ones that everyone else is? And um, trying to make sure that I understood kind of the landscape education-wise. And I've had hundreds of these conversations and they've all been so great. And I just discovered that, you know what, teachers, I think, are some of the most interesting people on the planet. And I, and I know I'm a little biased because I'm a teacher myself, but, <laughs> but we tend to be, especially those of us that stay in the profession for a long time, we tend to be widely read. We tend to be very thoughtful. We um, tend to have kind of a view into, into both past and modern culture because we're interacting with new generations that come through our classrooms. And so I, I've just found that, that talking with teachers is just a wonderful thing to do um, in general. And I was doing it already. So I thought, well, <laughs> why don't I just start recording these, you know, and make them available to everyone? And I had that idea, but I couldn't figure out the format until one day I was looking for good teacher podcasts. And I typed in the best teacher podcasts, of course. <laughs> and, um, and then it struck me. Nobody's named it that yet. <laughs> right? And as soon as it hit me, I was like, man, that'd be cool if I could just name it that. <laughs> the next time somebody Googles it, it's the first thing that pops up, right? I mean, oh, it's kind of gaming the system. Why not? But I, I had that fun idea. And then I go, well, well, that gives me an idea of how I can structure the show. Because as you know, if the show doesn't have any structure, it's going to be hard to figure right. out how it's going to work or to do it continuously. And then I was like, well, I'll just glean the best that I can from each teacher. So, um, so then I set it up to where I, I get their best story, their best tip, their best tool, and their best strategy. And, um, and that's the show, you know? And, and so it's really all about them and they bring all of the, the dynamic content to the table. And the thing I love about it for both parties is minimum prep, maximum value, right? <laughs> um, every teacher off the top of their head can be like, this is my best story. This is my, you know, cause you're not doing a, a big deep dive, but what I found even in the few episodes that we've done, I think we're on episode five, we've recorded like 10 now, is um, I'm already starting to pick up on patterns uh, between teachers where I go, you know, as soon as I hear their story, I kind of know the direction that their tools and strategies are going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really cool for me is hearing again and again and again from every teacher all around the world. I've got people from Jerusalem, India, um, Chicago, you know, it's, it's kind of spanned the gamut is this emphasis on human-centered, you know, teaching, on, on yep. keeping the student uh, relationship at the center of all that we do. Um, and that's just kind of rising out already in, uh, as a huge theme of the podcast, even just a few episodes in. So, How do you go about finding your guests? Is it all social media-based or do you go, I don't want to say headhunting, but you, do you go searching for people? You know, um, one of my theories and assumptions um, that has proven to be true, but was a bit of a risk at the beginning, was if anybody's a teacher, right, and they've been doing it for any amount of time, um, they're interesting. They've got something to bring to the table. Very and true. so finding guests is as easy as going, hey, anybody know a teacher? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, of course I do. And especially once you get into the teacher circles. Um, and so it's been a combination. It's been both, you know, friends, a teacher of a friend. Um, our most recent guest, uh, Michelle Solberg, was just a, a, a lifelong friend of, of one of my friends here on campus and said, hey, mm -hmm. she's been a teacher for a long time. Turns out she's been a teacher for 42 years. And it's wow. like, you know, like anybody that's been teaching for 10 years has amazing stuff to share. Um, but I've had I've had people on, you know, it's almost 20 years is like the average 
And um, it's just a wealth of knowledge and and depth that you can get into. Honestly, I feel like each guest, you know, we, we could go for hours and, and I have to usually reel it in because it will if, if I let it. Um, but I found that it doesn't matter how I find them. It, it, it just, hey, if you're a teacher and you've been doing it for any amount of time, um, let's have you on the show. What, in your opinion, and I've been asking myself this for a long time, what makes a good podcast guest? Uh, yeah, I will say <laughs> that I'm starting to learn this more. You know, I'm still at the beginning of my journey. Um, but I, what I found is people that can answer your questions. <laughs> and and like, like, what I mean is um, I've had a couple of guests now where – I kind of I could tell that they went down a rabbit hole and they got lost and forgot the question that I asked them in the first place. And, and then we kind of have to go back and be like, so you still haven't answered the questions that I asked. Can we come back to that? And I'd say, so so a good podcast guest is really just like a good conversationalist, somebody who who listens and responds to the conversation as is. And that doesn't mean you can't throw your own stuff in there, but, you know, can can track with. A conversation but if you can track with a conversation i think you can be a good guest you know you've decided to have your shows be between 40 50 minutes or so this is a question that comes up a lot in our podcasting circles um any particular reason for that is that it has been or has that just been as the conversation dies it's about 45 minutes or do you have any thought process of putting your show together you mentioned that as you were starting it you actually had a, a you know outline or some set blocks of where you're doing things talk to us yeah. a little bit about how you structure things and and what that looks like for you because as you mentioned you're relatively getting started with this which is really yeah. really cool that you're already thinking about structure yeah well i wouldn't have done it without the structure to be honest uh jeff i, I couldn't until I, I actually attempted to record a couple of like i guess pilot episodes of another type mm -hmm. of show about a year ago and what I found is like, man, this is going to take me hours of research <laughs> to be able to do a good show about like, for example, I was I was trying to include different topics around education and stuff. And a lot of people do that really, really well. But I just realized how much work it was going to be. And I go, I, I can't do this personally. My life doesn't have room for me to be able to maintain this. And so the reason I got so excited about this podcast is it was all about extracting value from the guest, you know? As long as we can keep the conversation structured to where we're going to hit your best story, then we're going to hit your best uh, tip, and then your best tool, and then your best strategy. It just kind of, the show happens on its own, it feels like, you know? Um, and the, the format, the only one that I was really stuck on keeping in the same order was keeping the story first, mm. right? Introduce, and then let's jump into story. Because... That reveals so much about the person. It grounds them as a human being for the listener and also for myself, right? And I've also found that that story kind of sets the tone, as I was talking about earlier, for the rest of the things. And it gives context to the tips and the tools and the strategies that they bring. Um, as far as the length, the, the length just kind of comes out in the wash as far as, you know, can we hit all of these points that we had um, in the format? And... I know my audio engineer, the guy I have helping mm -hmm. me do the editing. I'm always like, sorry, you can't, you can't cut anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's just so much value in each of these conversations I find, you know, and, and I remember listen. I do a lot of listening to podcasts. Um, I've been the podcast listener 
much, much longer uh, than I've been a, a producer or host. And, you know, I, I, I forget who said it. It was one of the guys I was listening to because they were addressing the same question. And they said, you know, the length really doesn't matter. What matters is have you provided value in every minute that you've recorded, right, to the listener? Is there, if there's stuff to say that's worth listening to, keep it in there. You know, and it just so happens that, um, you know, the stuff to say that's worth listening to for us has fallen between 40 and 50 minutes most of the time. I, I love that approach to it. And, you know, for here, I try to keep my shows 20, 25 minutes. My philosophy is that's how long it takes to get to work. Right. However, if you look at the shows that I listen to, I listen to these three and four hour long wrestling themed podcasts that I'll do <laughs> one show the entire week. And yeah. that's what I, that's all I'm I'm binging on is, you know, the history of WrestleMania or something like that. Yeah, I'm a wrestling nerd a little bit, but that it, it doesn't matter. And I love that what you just said, that as long as you're providing value, as long as the conversation is good, as long as you're keeping people moving forward with things, there is no set limit. I, I want to do a little nerd talk here if we can. Um, these are the questions that I ask all of my guests on this show. So we'll just kind of bite into them. Yeah. What's your microphone? How do you record? G give us all like, you know, the, the apps and the equipment that you have. When I come on your show to be a guest, how are you recording with me? What does all that look like? Yeah, our setup is, uh, <laughs> is an MVP status, I would say. <laughs> a, a minimum viable product. Uh, oh, okay. That don't know the, <laughs> um, uh, the jargon there. Uh, but yeah, no, I've got a halo light here, you know, so I really like that. I got a lamp on the other side. <laughs> I've got, um, I, and, and, you know, what's crazy is I had a USB mic that I bought locally that I, you know, advertised really well. I had good reviews. Um, it's it's going to be different than the ones you could get in the States just because, you know, but I think it was a new blow, like gaming mic, you know, it was made for that. And, and I did the first couple of episodes with it. And then one time it wasn't working properly and I used my MacBook Air mic Um and it turned out so much better that since then, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I guess I'll just use that, you know, like why? Um, so I'll probably end up upgrading on that. I should probably be asking you what mics you use. But I found that the, the, the sound quality on my Mac is, is not actually that bad. Um, and then I've used Zoom for recording, but I also have myself recording uh, with an additional device, usually either a phone or something else. And I ask the guests to record themselves too, so that if we're interrupted, um, we can take that kind of backup audio and throw it on there. Um, and then we also usually have a second angle DSLR camera um, okay. because even though we haven't done video yet, we've actually recorded video for each one. And it just adds, um, I think it adds a lot to the production value to just have a second angle. <laughs> Yeah, um, that you can cut to it. Just I don't know what it does, but it, it just it feels so much smoother, so much nicer. Um, just just to throw a few shots uh, over the shoulder, or you know where you can see the conversation happening from a different than than just that front facing cam that we're all so sick of after COVID. <laughs> we love the cam we we love the COVID cameras here. Um, so okay, so we're recording through Zoom. You're using a, a variety of microphones. Um, yes. You said you have a, a production team. Um, how does that work? Do you, do you know the applications that are used? What's the, what's that back end post processing look like? Is it just, oh, that's yeah? So I, the team is my myself and one other guy. 
Okay. Um, so it's yeah, that's it. Um, Michael York is a good friend of mine who has some um, he has some media training. I think his his ba- he has a bachelor's degree in media production, and and so um, he was pretty skilled in Final Cut Pro, um, and, among other things. And I believe he's using that uh, along with Adobe Audition for some some other editing features if if he needs to. But for the most part, he edits the audio and the video at the same time. Okay. Um, and that way, they're both ready to go and synced up uh, for rolling them out. Yeah. Nice. I, and I always ask this question of all my guests and I know you're just getting started off, so it might be a difficult question, but what have you learned over the course of your podcast? Oh, geez. Um, I've learned that (laughs) I've learned a lot. Uh, I mean, I think you learn most, most (laughs) of the stuff that you learn, you learn at the very beginning. Right. Um, and, and a lot of it is stuff about yourself. You don't like (laughs) Like, like the, the ticks in my own speech and the way that I, I, I tend to repeat the same phrases and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the, the most the most valuable thing I've learned, I think, is that I realized because I'm looking at the, the, the listenership like we all do and it's not high right now. And I don't know that it ever will be. But I asked myself, you know what, it, is this something I want to continue doing even if nobody was listening to it? Right. And I think that that's really the question that you have to ask yourself. If you're going to go into podcasting, you're going to create something. Um, are you creating something that you would be happy to create, even if it didn't have very many listeners? And I think that that is the key to creating a great podcast because you got to be consistent and you, you've got to enjoy it if you're going to do it over the long haul. Um, and, and it's going to create, it's going to require a lot of work. And I think you've got to have that, you've got to bring that intrinsic motivation. And just like in teaching, when your students can feel the enthusiasm that you have for your subject, right? I feel like your, your listeners are also going to feel if you just really are not, you know, you're just really not present for this show. And so you've got to be excited about what you're doing and the value you're bringing and believe in it. Otherwise, um, I, I don't think you can keep it going long enough to, uh, to get the momentum that that all of us want to see, obviously. Um, and then I've also found that I really enjoy listening to my own podcast, <laughs> which is weird, but it's not about, you know, again, it's not about me. The conversation isn't usually about me. It's about that teacher. And I often forget a lot of the golden nuggets that they dropped while we were talking. So I like going back and listening um, to our conversations. And going, oh, yeah, I, for- I forgot about that. Um and then, of course, you, you you pick up on things that you want to do differently in the future when you do that. So I'd say those two things, you know, have that in, in, intrinsic motivation. Make sure it's something that you can keep doing and you think is valuable, even if it doesn't have a wide listenership. And, um, you know, go back and listen to your own podcast and you'll learn a lot about about yourself. And And again, I think that's another good litmus test. If you're listening to your own podcast and you just can't bring yourself to enjoy, <laughs> that's probably a bad sign, right? You should probably change some things up. Uh, uh, that is one of the best answers I've had for that question. I, I want to follow it up and, and and I know you've touched on it, but the follow-up to that is always, what have you learned about yourself? Oh, yeah. and, and just, just that whole self-reflection. I don't know if you want to add uh, anything else onto that, but just, you know, in, in the last few months, what have you learned about yourself as, as a content creator, as, as a teacher, as a, as a podcast, like with that self-reflection, what are you picking up about yourself? Um, Oh, geez. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'd say there are two things and they're both related and they're, and they're kind of scary. And I think that, that, that would, it would like, it would reflect on all of us if we did it. But what I found is that I'll be in the middle of a good, a great conversation. Right. And, and cause that's what all these podcasts are. It's just really great conversations. Mm-hmm. And I'll be thinking to myself, this is an amazing conversation. I'm, I'm going to remember the stuff that I, you know, that I talked to this guy about, I'm going to follow up on this stuff. This is awesome. This, and then you almost immediately forget all of it, <laughs> right? I mean, you do, you think that you're going to, uh, that you're absorbing it. You think that, wow, you're really tracking and you are in the moment, but you know, I, I'll, I'll go back and listen and go, nope, 95% of this conversation. Like, I'll have the guy write me, uh, the guy. I'll have Michael, Michael write me and he'll say, um, he'll say, hey, what should we name this podcast? And I'll be like, it was only two weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I got to go back and listen to it so I can come up with a title. You know, and, and I think that's something I've learned about myself is it doesn't matter how dialed in I feel like I am in the moment. Unless, and this is something I tell my students. So, you know, it's just coming back to bite me. But Unless you go back and, and review it, unless you do something with the information that you, you know, that you got out of a conversation, you're not going to remember it and you're not going to apply it to your own life. And um, and that's both scary, but also very practical for us to know. Like we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that just because we had a great conversation, um, we're going to change things now. We, we, we really have to do that reflection piece and decide, right, to take action based on what we've heard. Um and then the second thing I'd say is uh, when you start recording yourself, you you realize uh, your own patterns of speech and how often you repeat things exactly the same way. Uh, and it's a little freaky. <laughs> we yeah. all do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something just kind of occurred to me as, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about all this stuff. You're in Thailand. Yeah. You've got to be going. Okay. So for those who aren't, aren't following here, I'm on the East coast and it is seven 30. So for you, Grant, it is currently what time? Uh, seven 30 AM. Yeah. So how do you manage running interviews? I, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this the wrong way. I'm assuming that many of your interviews are in the States, but how do you manage all the different time zones when, you know, you, you probably have to go to work soon when, by the time I'm recording this, like, how do you manage the scheduling? Yeah. Luckily I'm on break today. So it's a later, a uh, little later than I would normally, um, I would normally record, but, uh, I, am a little nuts in general. I've, I used to record in the evenings and I, and I wouldn't just record. I, I have, you know, like I said, I've got this big project I've been working on. So I've been doing lots of remote meetings for years now. And I was packing them into my evenings, but recently they kind of picked up in, in speed and scope, including the podcast, you know, as a part of that. And I found that I was working, you know, 5.30 AM to 11, 12 at night, almost wow. every day. And it was sustainable for like, oh, you know, for a week it was fine. And then two weeks was fine. And then all of a sudden it was three months and I was like mentally and physically paralyzed. Um, from just having basically worked from sunup to sundown for three months straight. And I go, well, this isn't sustainable. So I ended up switching everything over. I now get up at about 4 a.m. Um, and I have kind of a morning routine that I do. And then my workday starts at 5 a.m. And so that's when I'm going to get a lot of my 
uh, podcast recording and remote meetings done, you know, for those that are on Western time zones. And the reason I've done that is because then I can give my myself permission to stop at 5 p.m. And mm-hmm. so now my workday starts at 5 a.m., it ends at 5 p.m., and I can actually put everything away and be present. I have a family, I, my wife and, and two girls, seven and, and four years old, um, and be present with them mentally uh, in the evenings. And, and I found that the, the dividends on that decision are, are just, you know, it's impossible to measure. It's been really, really great. I, I love that. Trying to come up with that work balance where you can, you know, be dad, be husband, yeah. be teacher, be podcaster, be all of those different things. That is not easy. So bravo for putting all that stuff together and, and doing the 5 a.m. thing and and putting it all together. Now, you had mentioned that you've got a big project coming up. Give us the the quick and dirty, because I know once you have this set up, I would love to have you come back on and we oh, yeah. can talk about this in long form. Uh, what is it? How do we learn more about it? And most importantly, when can we learn more about it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the best way to stay updated would be to follow me on LinkedIn. So just Grant Wooten um, I, on LinkedIn. You can find me. I don't think there's that many Grant Wootens out there, so it shouldn't be too hard. Um, and it is a website. It's a web platform that is meant to combine the best teaching ideas. So an ever expanding database of the best teaching ideas. We're talking activity level, right? So individual activities you can do in your classroom with the most efficient and effective lesson planning tools ever made. And and I know that sounds like a lot of marketing jargon, but I mean every word. Um, the, the database is enormous um, and, and will be ever expanding as people contribute and iterate. And then the lesson planning tools are basically drag and drop at that point. Uh, we've made it to where, you know, you can take individual activities and just throw them into a lesson plan and all of that information is automatically loaded so that you don't have to go in and, you know, even when you know, because we're all teachers here, right? So even when you know what you're going to do, right? Um, you know exactly how you're going to plan this lesson to get, by the time you've entered your Google doc, you've typed it all out and you've linked everything. You know, we're looking at, you think it's going to take you 20 minutes, but it's probably going to take you 45 minutes to an hour. And that's when you already know what yeah. you're doing. And a lot of the time you don't. And so this was me trying to build a solution for the world's teachers where that process could actually take 15 to 20 minutes instead of, you know, uh, instead of hours. Um, and the other thing that really excites me about it is I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been so fed up with the internet as most teachers are, where you have basically two kinds of website, right? You got a website where you you, it's a free-for-all and there's just piles of, of crap and, and, and you might find something useful that then serves as inspiration for you to build something from scratch, right? Like, ah, I can take that and do something with it. And then you build it, build it from scratch anyway. Um, or you'll find stuff behind a paywall, you know, like Teachers Pay Teachers where it's a la carte and it's hit or miss. But the thing that, I, that I'm most frustrated about across the board is whatever you find, it's almost always unadaptable, Right? By definition, it's not perfect for your classroom, right? Um, it can't be. Nobody could ever build something for your... There's no such thing as ready-made activities. It's one of the most overused phrases in all time in education. Ready-made activities, ready-made lessons, no such thing. Not a believer in it. Because your unique context, your unique class, you can't possibly... Nobody else can do it, right? 
Uh, you're the only one at this point in time with this group of kids. And so when you find something, even when it's good, there's always something about it that you wish you could change or something that you need to change to make it work for your context. And what I've done on Edgesphere is not only built all those tools that I mentioned, but also when you find an activity, you click one button and it makes a copy that now is completely editable, everything. And so you can use, you don't have to start from scratch. You can use what you found as your starting point, and then you can you can take it and make it your own. Um, so that's that's a nutshell version, I suppose. Are, I know it's not that nutshell, but are we are able to, to give out any website links at this point? Wait, yeah, when is it going to be live? You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can go to edgesphere.com. That is e d u s f e r e uh, with an f instead of a ph. So that's edgesphere.com. Um, and that site um, continuously updating, and soon I'll have a live beta link. Now, our first iteration is built for English language teachers specifically for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. um, but there's also going to be a link to a waiting list for those that teach other subjects, and um, and we should be rolling all of that out by the end of the year next year. Uh, we might even have two or three subjects launched next summer. Wow. So I would, I would get on that waiting list if you're listening. I'm going to have, I believe I'll have that link set up in the next 24 hours. So by the time this comes out, if you go, uh, well, I'm like in the middle of setting this up right now. Like we, we have the the site and like it's just the timing. But um, yeah, it'll be there. So go to edgesphere.com and either click join the wait list or if you're an EL, ELL teacher in any capacity, if you teach ESL or EFL, um, you can go ahead and sign up and get into the beta uh, and, and be there for the beginning. So something that I believe is going to be uh, really big for teachers around the world. Well, we definitely will put the links to all of this. I've been looking at the website and it looks like it's going to be amazing. And when you do get closer to launching, absolutely would love to have you come back on and do our Ask the Tech Coach show. And we can talk about how coaches can take advantage of all these great lessons. So please yeah. keep us in mind. Please come back on. Um, Grant, you know, I, I thank you so much for coming on and good luck with the podcast. Any words of advice out there for anybody who's looking to get into podcasting and start their starting their own show in 2023? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've shared a lot already that 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 somebody who's looking into this could could take away. Um, but I'd say as soon as you find as soon as you find the vein of conversation that you feel like you could have, you know, endlessly, basically, as soon as you find something that you feel like you could just talk about forever, um, get started. Just, just start, just book a guest. I mean, it's so easy. The tools out there, like we use anchor to, uh, to distribute and, and, and build our podcast, um, which is a really intuitive tool that, that works really well for us. Um, you don't even need, you know, like as I demonstrate, you don't even need a fancy setup um, mm -hmm. to get started and have a, a high quality show. Um, I'd say just, you know, just like you with anything else, get started, jump in the pool. And um, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with with what you're capable of. We're going to make sure that we have all the links to the show. This is episode number 58 of Educational Podcasting today. Head on over to Educational Podcasting com where we're going to have all of our links to this all of our shows and of course if you're interested in getting into podcasting in your studio 
or with your students, you can go over to podcastingwithstudents.com and check out all of our great lesson plans today. Grant, thank you so much for your time. Please keep us in mind when you guys launch, and we'd love to have you back on the show real soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate and it. Thank you, and thank you guys for listening to this episode. Don't forget to head on over to teachercast.net for all of your ed tech needs. On behalf of Grant and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App 